Welcome to Season 2 of Do Good and Do Well. My name is Sarah Fox and I'm a life and leadership coach and founder of the Do Good and Do Well community. And this is a podcast where we explore how to be a changemaker without losing yourself. Let's get to it. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode. I hope you are all well and looking after yourselves as much as possible. I will be having some more guests on. We've got some fantastic guests coming to you very soon. But for now, you've got another episode with just me. And this is a perhaps a slightly ranty episode. I hope it resonates for some of you. I wrote a tweet recently and it asked this. For those of you working in the not-for-profit sector, regardless of role, if I had a magic wand and could make things better for you in terms of your impact, contribution and personal well-being, what would you want me to change? And I said that they could have as many wishes as they wanted, didn't want any of that three-wish stuff. The responses varied to a certain extent, but there was certainly a similar theme, and that was around money. It was about better pay, paying on time, having funding that was easy to access, easy to use and report on, and... Funding that was a response to good work rather than projects that are trying to fit into a certain criteria. And what if, replied someone else, we could get paid for talking to each other, for giving and receiving support and sharing resources? So... There are a few things I want to bring up here that speak to both the bigger picture, the systemic issues in the not-for-profit sector, and also the individual's responsibility in all of this. And I'm going to frame this episode around my own experiences. I know that you will all have your own experiences with this and I would really love to hear them. So do get in touch if you'd like to share them with me. I also want to preempt, I said this at the beginning, preempt slightly that this may turn out to be a ratty and ranty episode because this is a subject I feel really emotionally connected to for all sorts of reasons and because I am also in the phase of my menstrual cycle where there is much frustration and anger bubbling very close to the surface and I want to rather than go and hide in a cave and just be angry about the world and not do anything about it I want to harness that power and speak openly in the hope that this is a useful addition to a conversation that has been going on for a long time. You know, this isn't just a pandemic issue and really that it provokes action. The two longest roles that I have held in my life, in my career, were 
always at some point temporary at the beginning really and reliant on the success of funding applications so in my role at a housing association I was recruited to run a three-year grant for the arts project and once that funding ceased the fundraising team applied for more support and some of that came in and the organisation match funded the work as well. Then 2008 happened, we had the global financial crisis and that massively impacted the social housing sector and despite the organisation and the leadership team working really hard to try and keep me in post Unfortunately, the arts, it wasn't a priority and I was eventually made redundant. I began my role at a small arts charity in 2009 as project manager of another three-year funded Grants for the Arts project. That role was £6,000 less than my previous job. And there was no pension. There was only one member of staff. <laughs> I was the second member. And you know what? Those things didn't matter because I really wanted that job. And that's how much funding there was for that role. I'm going to come back to that in a bit. I also had my first child early on in that role. So I was only entitled to the statutory maternity pay. Those of you who have ever been on maternity leave will know that that's not a lot. And in the organisation, there was this constant application writing process. But of course, this was a small team. So we had no lovely fundraising department like I'd had in my previous job. So the fundraising was led by the CEO and we all pitched in. I mean, we all pitched in with everything. And by that point in my career, I was really very used to putting in applications that weren't successful. There were many that were. But I always felt slightly precarious in that role. I think that stems a little bit from having been made redundant um, and knowing, just knowing how precarious these things are. So when we got MPO status, that was, that eased that worry a little bit and we could breathe a little sigh of relief. You know, it wasn't a huge amount of money. We were really grateful and we felt validated by the Arts Council and a little bit more secure. Um, and this cycle of reporting, applying, reporting, applying was still there. Oh, and whilst doing that, you know, managing, creating, running top quality participatory projects as well. So I left that role when I was 39 and at that point, I earned £30,000 pro rata. So when I look at that, I think, OK, it's taken you two degrees, countless training, total commitment and care, throwing myself into those roles and nearly 20 years to earn £30,000. 
And I know that there are people out there who might be screaming at me right now saying, you know, that's plenty. What are you talking about? I think there are many, many people who need to be paid better in the not-for-profit sector. I want to say that I think this happened because of a few things. First, my own money stories meant that I never believed I could really earn a decent salary. People like me didn't earn decent salaries. Two, I decided that I was working in a sector that didn't pay that well. It was as it was and I wasn't going to change it. Number three, I was so grateful (laughs) to be working in the arts. So grateful to be working in communities, doing a job I absolutely loved, feeling like I was making a difference, that the financial reward wasn't high up on my agenda. But the thing is, and I'm coming to number four, I could make those decisions I had the privilege of being able to do that. My husband had a decent salary, which meant we weren't only dependent on mine. There were, you know, two salaries coming into the household. So we could make it work. And did I tell you how grateful I was? So why am I telling you all of this? It's because I am seeing similar stories around pay and funding all of the time. People wanting to invest in themselves, invest in coaching or training or going on holiday, choosing to do things they really want to do and they're not able to do it because they're not earning enough money and I think because I've now stepped out of that sector you know obviously I'm working with people who are in that I feel like I've got a slightly different perspective I'm I'm seeing that there are other ways of making money that it's not just about funding and being in that cycle and of course I know that there are people within uh, the not-for-profit sector that know that and do a lot of work around business development and income generation that doesn't just involve funding but I think that it's a very it's a familiar system that we are used to artists applying to funders to be able to run community projects so that they can pay themselves often very little that they can pay other artists that they can buy materials and all of the things that come with that and it's not just artists facilitators educators in organizations our salaries what they should be are we really looking at how much it costs to live Of course, it's only one part. It's one part of the picture. But to me, it feels like an absolutely fundamental part. It is so connected to all 
the other things. And, you know, I believe we need more good people to have money. Imagine. Imagine what the world would look like. And I think this has everything to do with doing good and doing well. This pervading feeling of scarcity. There's not enough funding, there's not enough money, there's not enough jobs, there's not enough time, there's not enough resources and not enough opportunities means that people are burning out. Take a look around you. It may be you. You may be the person burning out. Taking on everything that you can, applying, reapplying for funding, those feelings of rejection when you don't get it, the feeling of sometimes inadequacy, not being enough, being not good enough, having no time to really process and reflect on learning from previous projects, having no time to take any proper rest so that you can refuel your compassion and creativity. Instead, people are eventually feeling exhausted, stressed, angry, resentful. Maybe they leave. You know, I can't take it anymore. There's often the question, but where will I go? What else is out there for me? Maybe they stay. No, I'll keep doing this. It will get better. I love it. I'm so grateful. Maybe they look at the situation and see where they can make things better for themselves, even if the system makes that trickier. I don't consider myself as a freelancer. I consider myself a business owner, an entrepreneur, and I think, and I'd be interested in this conversation with people, but I think that's a really important distinction because there's something about running a business. You know, freelancers are businesses. You are your business. But I don't think we often look at it like that. And when I first started thinking about this coaching practice, coaching business, I assumed that I would apply for funding because that's what I knew and understood. But as I worked on my own feelings, my own stories around money, and I really thought about how I wanted to be in the world, I made the decision to really limit that option I'm not excluding it completely. I mean, after all, I am fundraising to keep this podcast going. So have a look at the show notes and you can see the link how to do that if you want to help. But I I didn't want to be part of that cycle anymore. And I'm not saying this is any easier. Selling your services, asking individuals for money, I find really difficult sometimes. And... I'm trying to, oh, I've made the decision to be more intentional about how much work I take on, how many clients I have. 
who I work with and trying to plan my 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 weeks, my months so that there is space in there. There is space for exercise, rest, reflection. I don't always get that right. You know, the dark scarcity side in me is very strong. <laughs> so I have to work on that all the time. I have to keep reminding myself of that decision. But, you know, all of this means that I have to be very considered about how much I'm charging. I'm done with undervaluing my work. I want financial reward. It's not about the number of hours that I work. It's about who I am and all the experience that I bring. The person I am when I come into this situation, all of that. I want to earn good money. And if you listen to my last episode, you'll know that I really, really, really want to be a philanthropist. I have this big dream that I want to be able to pay people to run projects without any of the funding stuff that comes with that. I want to pay people to be part of communities where they thrive from rest recovery, support, connection, creativity. I think that's really important. So that's what I'm working towards. And, you know, in my previous roles, I am not blaming those organisations at all. You know, I'm not blaming the leadership teams. They were... I've been so fortunate to work with incredible people. We were part of a much bigger, complex system... I do wonder, though, how how complicit was I in all of it? Not speaking up, not asking for more, not questioning, not questioning the status quo, moaning about it, maybe, not ever doing anything about it. And, of course... You know, there's not a lot of time for that. There's not a lot of headspace for that. That stuff takes energy. I think not being part of that system so much, and I'm not reliant on that system, means that I can take a step back and I can, I, I have a different perspective. And I feel like the Do Good and Do Well community needs to be part of this questioning of the status quo and calling people to action because that's when things get done. I think that the whole not-for-profit sector has been built on the goodwill of individuals who are so grateful to work in the industry that they'll put up with it or who feel they have no choice, they have no power, or who have other financial means that means the work is continually subsidised. So my question to each of you is this. What part... Are you playing in all of this? 
What's your responsibility? What can you do? What are you willing to tolerate? And what are you not willing to tolerate? Let me know what comes up for you. Do you totally disagree? Do you have a different perspective? Do you have an answer? (laughs) Then get in touch. Share this episode on social media. Hashtag do good and do well. And as always, take very very good good care. care.